Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fluency, a podcast dedicated to exploring the intersection of yoga and psychology, a place to consider all aspects of our humanness and tools to bring home to our own inner lives. I'm Livia Cohen Shapiro. I'm a mama, a wife, a yoga teacher, a somatic therapist, and I'm the founder of Applied Psychology for Yogis and the School for Ecstatic Unfoldment. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And as I've mentioned before, this is my first endeavor into a podcast. And over the next six weeks or so in this first season of Fluency, I'll be bringing you some excerpts and interviews that very much align with and reflect the teachings and experiences of my upcoming course, Emotional Literacy for Yogis. And Emotional Literacy for Yogis is a nine-month course that blends academic rigor, deep personal inquiry, and specific techniques to bring yoga and somatic psychology into a more seamless integration for yoga practitioners and teachers. It's designed for yoga practitioners and teachers alike from any style and length of practice. And really all you need is a body, a computer, and a longing. So enjoy. This, this concept that I'll present to you today is um, it's one of my favorites actually, <clears throat> and also one of the one of the things that um, having a a young child around is something that I. It's one of those things where I intellectually understood the concept, um, and then being with my daughter Olive and really watching natural human development, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, so just in, in you know understanding at a whole other level. And, um, and it's one of the concepts that I try to rest into and incorporate and um, just kind of hold as a, as a bigger picture when I'm teaching in general, whether it's more didactic teaching or the teaching of asana or whatever. So, um, okay, so without further ado, so what's our, what's our teaching for today? So part of it is... Um, well the, well, the concept is what we call the zone of proximal development, the zone of proximal development. It's a developmental psychology term. Uh, so those of you who've studied developmental psych, you probably have heard this term, the zone of proximal development. Um, Vygotsky coined this term, and um, it's very useful in all kinds of education settings. It's also useful to understand our own development, and it's really apparent when you're around kids. And what the zone of proximal development, or the ZPD, what that has to do with uh, teaching students in yoga is it gives us another overlay with how to deal with frustration. And it brings into question more almost like philosophically what's happening around frustration and how do we work with frustration in ourselves with our students. And um, I guess when I was a, a newer teacher, somewhere along the way, I kind of got the message, and I don't know how or where I necessarily got this message, but I sort of got the message that as a teacher, I should take my the frustration of the students, that that was somehow my responsibility to take away. Or to, or to take down. Like, there's only so much frustration a student should feel. It should be accessible enough and easy enough. And, um, and yoga shouldn't be a struggle. Um, 
that it should be, you know, spacious and, and all that. And the longer I've practiced and the longer I've taught different kinds of folks and now moving through the life cycle of coming into motherhood and being around a child and watching her go from getting herself out of my body, learning to um, breastfeed, learning to hold her head up, learning to look side to side, learning to push herself up, learning to crawl and walk. And yesterday she started walk, she has been able to walk upstairs, but now she's starting to go down. And she also figured out how to get off a couch and off the bed very skillfully. This has taught me a lot around about frustration and how, here's the kicker, frustration is good for you. Frustration is so good for you. Frustration is a motivational force that makes you do the next developmental step. Across, like I would say one of the most profound teachings I've learned in watching Olive develop in a natural rhythm, moving from you know newborn into now as a toddler, as she's acquiring and now acquiring like more and more language, is the gift of her frustration. It's like, it's like holy. Frustration is holy. It's like holy mental power that makes you do the next thing. And, um, and so I've really started to build a new relationship to this idea of frustration. And I think for this term frustration and has become almost pervasive and, and ubiquitous in the new age circles of like, you know, how do we take our frustration down? How do we take our anxiety down? How do we, how do we make, how do we make things more easeful? I, I've definitely been to, to yoga classes where it's like, how can we make this pose more easeful? And I'm, so, I'm sort of of the mindset of like, but maybe the pose is just hard. Like, maybe it's just hard. Maybe it doesn't have to be easeful. Maybe the lesson is, how are you going to deal with the fact that it's effing hard? So, um, and, and I, I'm sure all of you could come up with an example of like, how do you just meet what is, right? How do you meet what is challenging? How do you meet what is frustrating? How do you meet what is difficult in one's life? That is also part of meeting what is. When we talk about meeting what is or being in the present moment or even softening and creating more space, part of that is like, we don't always get to choose. We don't always get to choose what's hard. We don't always get to choose the hard thing that comes our way. And how do we face that as we grow and develop and, and meet life? Uh, so how we deal with frustration is, is actually really important. And we can have many different stories about frustration. Like um, maybe we, it was like, we had to deal with our frustration all by ourselves in isolation. We had to learn to do everything by ourselves. Or maybe we were never, we were helicoptered and we were never allowed to even experience frustration. Everything was done or given to us or some combination thereof. Or maybe we received teachings about frustration in the past. And so what I'm hoping in this lesson today is just to kind of air that out and, and maybe provide some, some fresh insight into frustration. So frustration is good for you. Frustrate, also, frustration is developmentally appropriate. Let's think about frustration in a developmental lens of what is developmentally appropriate frustration. So this, I understood this um, 
earlier on when Olive um, was learning to um, roll over and going from the belly and then like kind of tipping to the side is a little easier than when you're laying on your back and you have to learn how to orient your head um, and then the arm and the weight of that takes you over. Um, you sort of have to catch a, a, a cross lateral motion that helps you come back over onto your belly. And this is hard work, actually, um, to, to figure that out. Imagine if you're a teeny little baby figuring that out. And so I would watch, or another time I would see this is when she was also really little and she was learning to grab and pull. And so she would be underneath of those, um, you know, those little activity gym things. And so she would be looking up at the things and she would like try to reach and grab and she would get annoyed or frustrated that she couldn't um, grab it. And she would screech and, um, and then she would be so happy when she could do it. And so I would watch the impulse in myself that when she was kind of almost rolling over or, or looking like she was orienting towards this thing to grab but not quite doing it, how immediate and strong my impulse to do it for her was. Oh my God. I would be like, you know, I would be like, oh, do you want help rolling over? Boom. And I would help her roll over. Or, oh, let me get that for you. And and I, and I caught that in myself and I was like, wow, what is that? What is it in me that is not able to tolerate her frustration, all his frustration? Because when she would get frustrated, she would, you know, kind of whimper or make a face or grunt or, or even screech. And like now as she's acquiring language, she knows what she wants and so she'll point. And for the things she doesn't have words yet, she'll, uh, uh, uh. And, um, and so it's really a matter of like trying to, oh, what's over there that you're pointing to? But it can be hard because um, it's noisy. And so that frustration is activating something in me, right? And so in order to tolerate my own discomfort, I do the thing for her, help her roll over, grab the toy for her. So trying to lessen the intensity. So translating this to the yoga, um, a lot of it is how are we as the teacher tolerating our students' frustration? Um, when, and, and learning yoga is complicated and hard. Imagine like a beginner trying to understand down dog or um, even just the how to be in plank or, you know, like, wow, worker two can be so hard. And, and to be with that frustration um, and, and bear witness to that frustration and not have to necessarily do something about it. And so as I watched Olive um, be in this place and my own, what, what was arising for me and my own desire to kind of, or to kind of mitigate or make that more tolerable for myself, but then I would override her trying to get it done for herself. And so what I, began was a practice for myself of when I would watch her making these attempts, I would, at the new skill, I would refrain from immediately jumping in to a certain extent. There, there are times where like she did clearly sort of need, need help and that, that that's when I will come in. Um, but it took me a while to figure that out. But so I had to kind of give myself some space to see okay, like how much frustration can we do? And, and how much can we each tolerate? And every single time without fail, 
when I allowed her to stay in that place of wanting, wanting, desire, 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 you all, makes the world go around. Desire is actually, I want that. Desire teaches us new skills. Desire is also a wonderful gift. It is a motivational force. And desire and frustration can go hand in hand towards motivating ourselves, motivating us to new skills. And so without fail, when I would hold back a little bit and just be like, okay, I can tolerate this noise. I can tolerate her figuring it out. I'm here to support her learning. I'm not here to do it for her. She would do the new skill. She rolled over. She grabbed the thing. So, and, and, I, and I actually have a very independent child, which is cool. I didn't teach her how to get off the bed. She figured it out. And when we, so let's translate this into the yoga situation. Um, I want you all to start considering what your relationship to frustration is, both as the practitioner and as the teacher. And to what degree are you feeling responsible for your student's frustration and maybe even overriding it, whether it's through a verbal cue or a physical adjustment, or even making the sequence simpler or dumbing it down. Or, I mean, even like think about the way we teach philosophy, like it's rather complex and esoteric. And there's this, this idea of like, let's meet the students where they are. Yes, that's important. We do need to meet students where they are. But if we always dumb it down, always, always, always dumb it down and take it down, 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 rather than asking them to rise up, we don't access that motivational current that is desire and frustration that makes us naturally do the next thing. So um, your relationship to frustration and desire and being in, it's hard when we're in the presence of watching that in the other person and how do we tolerate that as a, as a witness to that and actually um, celebrate that as opposed to, oh, let's, you know, let's lower, lower the heat. Now, of course, there's plenty of times where we actually do need to do that and that's part of the nuance of being um, a teacher or a leader or a parent is knowing when to let it be and when to step in. Here's where the zone of proximal development comes in. So the zone of proximal development development concept gives us a kind of a, a framework for understanding when to hold back, when to step in. We have the help of what, what's called a more experienced other, more experienced other. And a more experienced other can be teacher, sibling, friend, parent, spouse, the person who already can do the skill set. So the more experienced other is helping the less experienced person, right? And um, so when we are asked to do a skill that's so hard, it's so up here, it's so hard that even with help from the more experienced other, we can't do it, we feel defeated. And if the task is so easy that we can simply and easily do it totally by ourselves and there's no challenge, we also haven't learned anything. So the zone of proximal development is really the window within which learning occurs. It's the window within which learning occurs. 
And learning um, happens through trial and error and through social engagement and through help of a more experienced other. Trial and error. Oh, I'm, the, I'm a baby on the floor trying to, oh, I see mama over there. Oh, oh, oh. Finally, I rolled over. Trial and error, I figured out how to do it, right? Trial and error, I figured out how to get off the bed. Trial and error, I figured out, I figured out how to move my foot in a particular way to free up my hip in this particular pose. Or, oh, with the help of a more experienced other who's witnessing me in my pose, I have figured out to move my foot in this specific way to create this opening that then opens the pose. So that sort of thing, yeah. So the zone of proximal development is the window within which we can learn a new skill. And that's through trial and error, social engagement, or help of, a, of an experienced other. If it is so, if the task at hand is so hard that we cannot do it, with the help of the other, the more experienced other, we feel shite about ourselves. And if the task is so easy that we, it's just like, right? We haven't learned anything either. So when you are working on building your classes, instead of this discussion of, I hear a lot amongst circles, yoga teaching circles, like um, teaching to the, to the average, or some people are into teaching to the lowest common denominator. Some people are into teaching to the, the average. Some people are interested in teaching to three levels, so like high, middle, low, um, or hard, medium, easy. When I think about um, creating a class, I try to think of what's the zone of the proximal, of what's the zone of proximal development for this class? whether it's a class or a workshop or a training, right? Even in one-on-one, -on -one, what's the zone of proximal development? And so it's more, um, I guess it's more refined or more new, nuanced, I find, instead of just teaching common denominator or middle of the road or in those levels, that's all fine, but especially if you're gonna do those levels, that's great, but what's the zone of, the pro of proximal development for that hardest level? and then the middle level, and then the easiest level, or the more fundamental level. Because you want to meet people where they're at, right? So if, so if we keep making it too easy and simplifying it, we're not actually meeting the students where we're at. We're not asking them to learn anything. And if we're overreaching, and even with our help, they're still feeling defeated because it's not accessible, there's no step for them to take, that's also not that helpful. That's not meeting them where they're at. That's over, overshooting them. So, you know, if you want to talk about meeting students where they're at, great. But what actually is that? And meeting students where they're at, the actual developmental psychological concept for that, you all, is the zone of proximal development. What is the window within which learning can occur with the help of a more experienced other? The more experienced other, my friends, being you as the teacher, or you as the parent. So, um, some food for thought as you do your teachings, or your, your teaching this week. Let me cycle that back to the frustration piece for a second. When we are within the, the ZPD, the Zone of Proximal Development with students, Frustration is a boon. It's a motivational force. It's useful. 
if we are um, hitting too high, if it's too hard, even with our help, frustration takes the form of defeat. And, you know, other, other things too, but the frustration is like, it's like debilitating. And if it's too low, if it's too easy, if there's no challenge, if, if frustration is basically non-existent, then we're not, there's no motivational force. What, what is there to desire? It's sort of, you know, like whatever, you know, um, it's a little boring. Um, the frust it doesn't build what we see in the literature um, called, called grit, G-R-I-T, grit. And there's a lot, the researchers now have a lot to say about helicopter parenting and the lack of grit in kids. And, um, and I'm not saying like, you know, don't watch over your kids. Like, I, I mean, we all have our tendencies. Um, but I really have to watch this in myself, my, my desire to like micromanage. And I'm like, okay, you know, let me step that back for a second. And like all of this, she's good. She's got support. We forget that as teachers, if we are providing an, a, an environment that is safe, secure, and grounded, spacious and warm for the learning environment to occur, we create a space where frustration is, again, a boon, a, a healthy motivational force. When we check out as a teacher or we check out as a parent, we're nowhere to be seen, we're not paying attention, and everybody's got to do it themselves and there's no help. The, we, it either tanks or it's so frustrating that there's just, it's like an implosion and explosion situation. And when we're constantly managing, oh, let me help you, let me help you, here's a block, here's a blah, 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 blah. let me give you an adjustment, blah, 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 blah. how many people can I adjust at one time? And let me just help you with this and let me make it easier for this. It's like, whoa, you know, we don't, we don't have to micromanage every little thing about the students. Like, they're adults. They can be frustrated. They're not going to explode. <laughs> into like stardust, you know, it, it's all right. I think sometimes as we want to do a good, a good job so badly that um, we don't realize that sometimes we're like, you know, and you know what, at the end of the day, we can't do the yoga for somebody else. It is their job to do their yoga. So, um, but what we can do is foster educational environments and teaching environments and relational environments where the zone of proximal development, the space within which new tasks is accessible with help, whether it's trial and error, relational dynamics, or with the help of, of the other, that the learning can actually occur. And it's that process of being in that window where transformation can occur. Okay, kind of cool, right? And if you keep this framework in your mind when you're structuring your classes and your workshops and your trainings, it can really be helpful to um, consider what, what's really developmentally appropriate at the learning level um, for, your, for your students. So let's say you're teaching, we teach a trikonasana. You've got the foundational one, middle level, and sort of the more advanced level. So what's the zone of proximal development for the foundation level 
the zone of proximal development for the middle level and the zone of proximal development for the um, ex more experienced level. And for the, for the foundational level, that might be just getting them into the basic shape of the pose. So for, for that, for those folks, you might need to say, hey, step your feet a little wider, or hey, turn your foot out, or hey, let me help you stretch your arms. Super basic shape. Then maybe the middle le level is about um, getting into more nuanced energetic flows, um, more nuanced, uh, like sort of deepening the stretch or the expression, and maybe you offer words of encouragement or adjustments that do that. And for the more advanced levels, maybe there's this, uh, more of a mental construct that you're working on with them or a thematic piece, or um, you challenge them to hold a very specific alignment piece that's, that's very refined. So that's kind of how I would do it. So if you do feel inspired by these course, these these um, teachings, um, and you're like, hey, maybe an online course or some mentoring or um, hosting a workshop or coming out to Boulder suits you. So um, take a look at what we've got uh, going on. What's coming to mind most immediately is um, the psychologically sound yoga classroom. This is in in there quite a bit, and also another concept what we call scaffolding. Scaffolding is another really cool education and developmental psych term. Um, that links with zone of proximal development. We also have got, now with my um, home studio finally being done this week, we've got some different intensives uh, lined up. So come visit us if you're inclined. Come go deep into these teachings. So the website for that, I wanted to share the website with you, is uh, ecstaticunfoldment.com. And of course, we've got the, the really meaty online course, which some of you on here have taken, um, is Psychosocial Emotional Literacy for Yogis. That's like the really big meaty nine month course, which is basically like, if you were gonna go to, um, like I went to graduate school for counseling psychology, somatic psychology here at, um, in Boulder at Naropa. And what I did is I took that education and I distilled it into a very precise curriculum for yoga teachers. And it's that course. It'll it'll start in October, and that's also listed on the website. So if that's just in your radar, that's there. So thanks again. It's this is um, I hope fun for you, but it's really fun for me. So have a really good week. Take good care. Let me know if you have any questions, and peace. See you soon.